How I wish I could just sit down and talk with every one of you and let you know what God wants to do in your life. And that story just touches me. That's what God wants for you. Aren't you tired of living a life that's just bound up and, and frustrated and fearful? There is a blessed life, and it's so freeing, and I want you to discover it. We're a blessed church because we have so many people that have discovered the blessed life. And together, we're able to do some awesome things because God has freed us to actually be his hands and feet in the world. I wanna tell you about uh, what happened in our Let's Be Rich initiative at the end of the year. We had set a goal so that we could, we could bless our community, we could give. Nobody came and asked us for it, nobody solicited. We said, wouldn't it be great if all of the people that we're giving to throughout the year uh, all of the ministries and the food pantries, places like Prevail, the, the shelter for, the, for, for women who are experiencing domestic violence. What if we just blessed them, got them a, a, ahead a whole month on their budgets? We set this lofty goal of 250000 We wanted you to give beyond and go beyond giving food and giving money and giving time. So, so here's what happened. We have seven church plants that have launched out of our church, and so with, with their participation, together we gave away 1,600 boxes of food that went out into the community, shepherd community, into homes. <laughs> I don't know when you last heard of a 26-ton food drive, but that's exactly what that is. And just the food alone was the, at about $50 a box of what you guys put into those boxes. It's like $80,000 of food that was given. So between all of the boxes from our partner churches, um, Cry of India, my father-in-law preached here a few months ago, and he shared a need of, of these little children that need sponsored. We rallied, 72 children were sponsored. That's about $30,000 of sponsorships that happened right out of here, the largest ever. Anyway, long and short, when I just put the, the indirect giving, the food, the child sponsorships, and what happened in all of our church planting partners, that total came to, drum roll please, $196,500, okay? Now, I would say this, but wait, there's more. Remember the goal was 250, we didn't fall short because we had nine Christmas services and we had a special offering at the end of every one of those services and we had 4,000 people come through our Christmas services and the offering at the end of those nine services came to 186,478. For a grand total, listen now, a grand total of $382,978. I wanna say thank you, thank you. And thank you for those of you who get this. The blessed life is a wonderful way to live and, and look what God has done. Look what you've done, look what you're a part of. I don't talk to you today out of any sense of need. I don't want anyone thinking that, that this comes out of need today. We're a blessed church, and we're, it's awesome to give that out into our community. But I want to share with you the secret behind it and talk to you about a test that God gives your heart. And I want you to pull out that little scripture page that's in your program and turn on your Bible or turn in your Bible to the book of Malachi chapter 3. And that reference isn't on your bulletin for some reason, but just write just write on there, Malachi 3. If you can't spell Malachi, just do M-A-L dot, okay? Mal Malachi 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to read some verses. 
And the companion book for this series is The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. We have, I think, a few available in our lobby still or anywhere books are sold. You can get the Kindle version. I want you to read this book. I want you to talk about it in your small groups. And his book and then the messages that he preached and the outlines are what I've been passing on to you the last two weeks and today. Today, uh, I'm passing on almost directly an outline that he shared with his church that I think is so powerful. It, it blessed me so much and changed my life, and I want to share it with you today. But let's read these incredible uh, verses together. And as you're looking, do you remember when you were in school and uh, they said to you, are you ready? And you said, ready for what? <laughs> and they said, the test. And you said, what test? <laughs> I don't think people realize that there's a test that happens to your heart every time you get paid. How many of you get paid like once a week? Is there anybody that gets paid once a week? Just a few of you. How many of you get paid every two weeks? That's your routine. All right. How many of you get paid once a month? Okay, and a bunch of you apparently don't get paid at all. I'm so sorry. I'll start praying for you that you get a job soon. Every time you get paid, you take a test, and there's a test of your heart, and this passage explains what that test is, okay? Because, because every time we get paid, we have an opportunity to thank someone for that income. Who, the test is, who do you thank when you get paid? Who's, who's the first person you thank when you get paid? Who, whom do you worship for that income? You see, the Bible talks about wherever the first check goes. That's your first fruit. Who, who gets the first fruit of the income that you've received? A lot of people uh, thank Visa first or thank MasterCard. But, uh, but the blessed life is about putting God first in every area of your life. Let's read this scripture together. Um, For I am the Lord... I do not change. That is so important. God doesn't change. You know why? He's perfect. He doesn't get any better. He doesn't get any less. He doesn't improve over time. He's always been perfect. And he says, I'm the Lord. I don't change. There's not like a, a God in the Old Testament that changed and got nice in the New Testament. Some of you think that. I'm the Lord. I do not change. And look, therefore you are not consumed. You see, he's a God of mercy in the Old Testament. I'm the Lord, I do not change, therefore you're not blown off the face of the earth, you know, because I'm merciful. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. An ordinance, okay, is an ordinary principle of behavior. It's just what normal people do. It's how normal people behave. It's just, just a normal thing, okay? You've gone away from the ordinary principles of behavior, and you've not kept them. So return to me, and I'll return to you. That's the theme of the entire book of Malachi. You'll see that phrase over and over again where God is saying, return to me. I want to return to you. So that's what he's saying here, says the Lord of hosts. And you're going to see that phrase a lot because he wants to be clear. This is God talking. This isn't a man. So uh, he says, so the people said, okay, God, how do we return to you? In what way shall we return? And look at not man's answer, but God's answer. God says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. And that was kind of shocking because they didn't think that they were robbing God any more than you do if someone were to say, hey, you're stealing from God. And you'd be like, what? Yeah, you're stealing from God. And there would be a shock. And that's what these people were. Look at their response. They have a shocked response. You've robbed me. And you said, well, what do you mean? In what way have we robbed you? Well, well, look at God's answer. In your tithes and your offerings, and you're cursed with a curse. He doesn't say I'm cursing you. He says you're just under the curse. You know, the whole world is in entropy. It's, it's cursed. It's decaying. It's desecrated. And he's saying you have an opportunity to consecrate your life and to come follow me and return to me. 
or just stay in this desecrated world system. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in your tithes of offerings? You're cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's the purpose of tithing, food in my house, and we'll come back and explain that. Now, try me or test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's an amazing promise. And there's even more because he said, not only will I open the windows, but I'll rebuke Satan. I'll stop him in his track so he can't eat, you, eat, eat the bottom out from underneath you so that uh, the devourer will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And there's still more, he says in verse 12, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. What an amazing scripture. Now, let's pray together. We open our heart to you, Lord. We ask you to speak to us now directly from your word. May we be changed by it and do exactly what you tell us to do, each one in our own way. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a test of the heart. It's all about the heart. I've been talking to you about the heart. And when you think of this from a heart level, this is so simple, it's so clear. God's just saying, um, you've left my ordinary principles of how normal people live and you've left those. You kind of drifted away, you haven't even realized it. L let, me, let me say it another way. It's normal and ordinary to thank God for what he's done for you. It's normal and ordinary to thank God for what he's provided for you. It's normal and ordinary to say, uh, God, you're my source and you're the one that turns things around for me. It's just so normal and ordinary to do that. It's such a clear scripture. Almost doesn't need any explanation at all. If you tithe, you're blessed. If you don't tithe, you're cursed. Hmm. <laughs> And it's just that simple. And notice he doesn't say he's the one that's cursing. He's saying you're under a curse, which is the point. This whole world is in a disorder. This world is decaying, it's disruptive, it's desecrated. And so what God says is I wanna consecrate you. I don't wanna set you apart, you're to be different. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth it is in heaven. You're saying, God, let the way you rule heaven, let the perfection of your rule come into my life and order my life, order my steps, order everything about my life and get me away from this disordered, desecrated way of living I've always lived. Does this make sense? And so God is saying, return to me and let me order your private world. Let me order everything about your life. Pray that way. It's the normal, ordinary thing for people who believe in Jesus, but we have gotten away from that. I never, I don't know if people realize they've lost that ordinary principle. That's what the whole book of Malachi is about. Return to me. So the first chapter is return to me in your faith. The second chapter is return to me in your family because the families are falling apart. He says return to me in your finances in chapter three and in chapter four, it's all about God returning to his people. When they come near to him, he comes near to you. And that's the hope for somebody here today, that if you think you're so far from God, that 
He's too far away. You come near to him. You just came here today. God's going to come near to you. He'll return to you when you return to him. Now, the blessed life is all about God being at the center of my life and in first place. And if I put him first and get him in first place and I start stepping into what he's blessing, happiness is a byproduct. Happiness comes. Everything falls into place if you live the blessed life. And that is what I want for you. As your pastor, there's nothing more than for you to be like that couple on the screen who took a step of faith and trusted God and watch how God has ordered their world at that stage of their life. It's amazing. So I want that for you, but there's so much resistance to this idea. Is there not? Isn't it difficult? And that's why it's a test. Tests are hard. We don't like tests, but tests affect our heart. You know, Robert Morris, in his book, The Blessed Life, he said, he said when he was praying about this, he was saying, God, why couldn't you have just put this like 15 verses later in the New Testament? Then like all the controversy would be over. It'd be just, okay, well, we have to do it. Well, God doesn't want to give you another law. He already said it once. In fact, he, got, he has it exactly where it is supposed to be. Because, number one, write this down, tithing is a test. And it's a test of your heart. Tithing is a test of your heart. Tithing, the test is, do I believe that God gave me this income? First test of the heart. Are you going to bring to God the first 10% and believe that his way of ordering, you know, once, he, once you bring it to him, he orders the 90% better than you can 100 all on your own? That's a test of your heart. That's a heart choice. That's a heart belief. That God promises to bless you when you put him first. Do you believe that? That's also a heart belief. That when the economy struggles or when you're in a time of difficulty, that God can still take care of you because he's your source. That's, that's, a, that's a belief of the heart. This is a test of the heart. And tithe simply just means tenth or 10%. I don't know why he picked 10 other than it was just easy to figure out. And I... Even if I don't understand why he picked the number 10, I understand why he picked the percentage because percentages are fair. Like you could have $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year and it's still the same dime on every dollar. It's just fair. But I wonder if you realize that, that 10 is a number for testing all the way through the Bible. Now I'm gonna give you a little test and see how much Bible you know and you're gonna follow along but the secret is there's a little pattern developing in the answers and it should be easy for you. So come with me and, and go with me on this test. Here's the first one. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart with the plagues in Egypt? How many plagues were there? How many? Well, <laughs> that's amazing. 10, all right, so say it loud like, you, like you're proud, okay? 10, all right. How many commandments were there? How many times were the people of Israel's hearts tested with commandments? How many commandments? 10. All right, good. Now, how many times did God test Israel's heart in the wilderness? No, you know this one. See, there's a pattern developing. Come on, keep going, 10. Now, you don't know this, but you know the answer. How many times were Jacob's wages changed, and how many times did God have to test his heart? Ten. How many days was Daniel tested? You didn't know this, but? Ten. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? I bet you don't. Ten. Yes, amazing. How many days of testing were mentioned in Revelation chapter two? Ten. How many disciples were there? Ten. No, 12, I'm just testing you. <laughs> Ten is all about testing in the Bible, right? But let me, just, let me just clear this all up. That he's testing your heart 
And he's basically just saying this with the test. I'm testing to see if you believe that I'll be faithful to you. Write that down. God is just testing you to see if you believe that he will be faithful to you. In fact, you heard Lauren say it. It's the only place in the whole Bible where he says, test me and see if I won't be faithful to you. It's God's guarantee. See if I won't be faithful to you. And whether or not you believe that gets put to the test every time you get paid. Whom will I thank for this income? Now, let me clear up some of the common resistance because obviously this is not easily accepted and people push back and I've heard a lot of excuses. Let me give you the, one of them that, that people say, which is, hey, you're talking about the curse. I'm not under the curse. Jesus broke the curse on the cross, so I'm not under the curse. You heard that one? I believe it, actually. First uh, Peter 2.22 says that Jesus bore the curse of our sins on the cross. That's true. But let's just clear up something. Curse is not some weird voodoo word, okay? You know what the word curse means? It just means consequences. It just means consequences. So yes, he forgave all of my sins on the cross. He, he bore the curse of sin on the cross. And so the, the amazing thing about that is he forgave all my past sins. And he even knows the sins I'm going to do. And he forgives me for those. And he gives me grace. I mean, the cross broke the power of sin on my life. But as a Christian, do I still sin? Yeah, as a Christian, since you became a believer, do you still sin? Well, a whole bunch of you just lied to me right now. So we all sin. We all sin, right? And because we sin, that means that, yes, God forgives us for sure, but we have consequences. When we deviate from what God says is the best way, consequences happen to us. Are you saying that because you're no longer, you know, you're under grace, that there are no consequences for your sin? Is that what you're saying? Nobody, that's crazy. Nobody says that. The second big excuse that I hear is, well, this is in the Old Testament. I am now under grace. I'm no longer under the law. Anybody heard that one before? That's common. I've heard that a lot, but it, it's a great excuse, but it doesn't hold up to just a simple logic test. It doesn't make any sense, and it's a terrible excuse because what we're saying is, you know, it was right under the law, but now it's wrong. Or that something was wrong under the law is now right. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, okay, murder was wrong under the law. And yes, God can forgive murder, but are there consequences still for murder? And you bet there are. God can forgive me, but I'll still experience the consequences. How about adultery? In the law, that's wrong. Don't do it. And I'm glad God forgives. And if you've had that experience, I'm glad he's forgiven you. But there are consequences, are there not? I mean, you, you do that and you break trust and it hurts people and there's family and, you know, it's just a mess. Okay? How about, uh, just, how about just telling the truth? Don't bear false witness. But if I were to like, you know, just, you know, where's Dave Kurtz? Okay, everybody loves Dave Kurtz. That's, Dave is just the best looking guy in the whole church right there. <laughs> And Dave is this amazing guy. And what if I just start telling you, like, Dave, don't listen, and I told you some lies about Dave? Well, you know, there's a consequence. I mean, he can forgive me, and you can forgive me and all that, but there's a consequence when I tell lies about somebody. There's a consequence to that in that relationship. How about stealing? Yeah, God forgives that, but there's a, you know, let me show you. Dave, give me your wallet. <laughs> let me have your wallet for a minute. All right, thank you so much. Now, I just put that, 
I just put that in my wallet, in my pocket here, and I just like forget, and I go on with my day. I'm, I'm getting on a plane in a few hours, and I just forget, and I just, I know I'm not planning on giving it back. Now, is that right? I mean, I'm no longer under the law, so I can just, I'm under grace. I can just do, I mean, God forgives, he understands. I mean, that's the logic that people use on this. Like, it's no longer, okay, I know you're distracted. I'll give it back. Here you go, Dave. Thank you. What are you doing? Are you checking to see? What? You checked. I'm going to get you back for that. That's right. But people use this kind of stuff like, the, like, like what happened in the, in the Old Testament is like no longer, like I'm not under that anymore. It just, it doesn't hold up to, to just common sense. In fact, I, I think Jesus knew this. He goes on to say this in the New Testament in Matthew. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think, I mean, this is just a few pages into the New Testament, right? Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Well, well, Malachi is one of those prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Now look, verse 19. Anyone who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, boy, there's a lot of that going on today okay, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never end up in the kingdom of God. Well, what's the, what's the, the law of the, what's the, what's the righteousness of the, of the scribes and Pharisees based on? The law. And he's saying, unless you, you exceed the law, unless you get past the rules and get to the heart of this, and Jesus just raises the bar. He goes on to say, you heard, you heard murder? I say, it's not enough. Don't even, be, don't even harbor anger in your heart. Jesus raised the bar. He says, I'm after your heart here. The law just says the law, but, but he says, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look lustfully at a woman in your heart. So he raises the bar. So this whole idea of tithing being legalistic, I left it a long time ago. In fact, I've gone way beyond it. You've heard the story of my wife and I, we just decided we were gonna be even, we were gonna dedicate our whole lives to generosity. And the tithe was a starting place. Anybody who has the heart and the mind to understand the principle what Jesus is after here gets this and says, I wanna live uh, the blessed life. Now, Tithing makes sense, it's a test, but it's also biblical. That's the second thing, and a lot of people just don't think it's biblical anymore. But I don't have time to go into all of the scriptures. I'm gonna give just a few of what the scripture actually has to say, okay, about tithing. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. This is 500 years before Moses ever wrote the law, so nobody's commanding this, it just happened. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine he was a priest of the Most High God. He is a picture or a type or a representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. What, what did Jesus give his disciples in the Last Supper? You know, bread and wine. I mean, all through, we're gonna see pictures of this guy. So, so here's, a, here's a priest, and nobody's told Abraham to do this. The priest bless, blesses him, and Abraham gave him a tithe of all. 500 years, because you know why? It was an ordinary principle of someone who has their heart in the right place to thank God for the increase that he had received. 
Genesis chapter 28, you have Jacob saying, you know, this is the place where God spoke to me. So he, he brings an offering and he calls that place where God spoke the house of God. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, this is the law. All the tithe in the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. So, so the whole idea is a certain part must be consecrated and set apart for God. That's why God would say through Malachi, hey, you're robbing me, and they didn't understand it. He said, well, you're keeping in your house the consecrated part that belongs to God. Deuteronomy 26, verse two, it shall be when you come into the land that your Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance that you possess and you dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first, that just means tithe, the first part of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, put it in a basket, go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. That sounds like church. That's the place where God speaks. Go there and bring your tithe to the Lord. I could keep on going on, Deuteronomy 26, 13 and onward. Um, just, we could just keep going. But what about if Jesus said, you ought to do it? I mean, think about that. What if Jesus said? Now, there's some of you who would say, well, Jesus said it, I'm doing it. And there's a, some of us still that if Jesus Christ himself <laughs> said to you, you ought to do this, you would still say, well, I gotta think about that. <laughs> But Jesus said in, in, in this very clear passage, Matthew 23, 23, easy to remember, Matthew 23, 23, look what he says, watch this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You'll even tithe on the spices in the kitchen cabinet. I mean, you, you'll get so legalistic, you'll make sure you tithe on everything, but you have ignored and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Okay, now watch this. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. These you ought to have done. You ought to have tithed, but you shouldn't leave the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faith undone. It's just so clear. Look what Jesus said. Now someone says, oh, no, 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 that's not what he said. He, he was talking about what you shouldn't. He, he was saying these you ought to have done. He's talking about uh, justice, mercy, and faith. Well, no, it's, it's very clear in the grammar what he's talking about, and the Greek is even more precise. But let's just say you're right. Let's just say, okay, he was saying you ought to, to have justice, mercy, mercy, and faith. Look what the verse goes on to say. Without leaving the others undone. Either way, I got you. <laughs> I mean, either way you read it, you ought to do this. And so if Jesus says you ought to do it, that ought to be enough for me. If that's the only verse in the Bible, you know, considering what Christ has done for me, then I'm going to put him first. One more scripture. And anybody with a soft heart gets this, right? New Testament, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. This is the New Testament account of Abraham giving that tithe to King Melchizedek, the priest. Look at this. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And all that means is, is he was attacked, and so he fought back, and God gave him the victory. Okay, he was returning, and God blessed him. And to him, Abraham, to, to Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned or gave a tenth part of everything. Okay, so Melchizedek, he is the first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's Melchizedek's name. And the king of Salem, that means king of peace. See, this is Jesus, right? It's a picture of Jesus, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. And um, it goes on to talk about like nobody knew where he came from. He just sort of appeared. 
Abraham recognizes him as a man of God. And whether he was actually Christ in the Old Testament or, a, or, or an image bearer of Christ, a type of Christ, it doesn't really matter. Abraham just knew that I need to give this tithe uh, to, this, to this one like the Son of God. And in verse 8 of this passage, it says, in, the, in one case, the tithes are received by a mortal man. So in one hand, he gave them to a mortal man. But in the other hand, uh, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. That's Jesus. Now that's a really little obscure verse, but listen to what he's saying. Mortal man, you put that offering in the box and mortal man takes it out, but you're really giving your tithe to Jesus. That's powerful. You're giving it directly to him and he's receiving it. And that's why it says it's a testimony that he lives because when God shows up and intercedes and provides in tangible, miraculous ways and you say this had to be God, you know that he lives. And it's a witness to the world. If it's just for that alone, he lives. Now, that leads me to the third point. Tithing is a blessing. That's really what it's all about. Tithing is a blessing for you. So there was this king in Israel named Hezekiah, and there was an economic recession going on, and the people were suffering, and he as the leader began to pray on their behalf, God, what's going on? Why is this, why is this drought and famine happening, and why are, we so, why are we having it so hard? And is there anything I as a leader can do to lead our people back into your place of blessing? And as he starts to search the scriptures, he discovers that this passage that the people have left the, bless, the, left the commands of God. They have, they have not tithed. They have not uh, brought food into the house of the Lord. So the ministry in the temple and the ministry in the house of God is seriously diminished and declined. And in some cases, it stopped. So in verse 4 of this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So the land is experiencing economic recession, and he realizes we've, we've gone away from God's ordinary principles, and we need to return. And so he commands that everybody return to the ordinary principles of God. Remember, Malachi had said, uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Okay? You understand this. I mean, that's the purpose of tithing. And I mean, think about the blessed, I mean, we have food in this house. We just gave away $386,000. We're about to over the next, you know, as we write those checks, as we send that all out. There's food in this house. There's no lack. And I don't have any reason to share this for any kind of a need today. There's no need. But I want to tell you the reason why there's food in this house is because the people of God, there are people in this church who have said, we are going to bring the tithe to the house of the Lord. And because they do that, there's food in God's house. And not just, not just the word of God being spoken for me, but from every aspect of this ministry, to the children right now, to teenagers, through the care ministry, through benevolence, through all of the counseling that goes on, the word of God is going out. There's food in this house. You don't have to even, you don't have to respond, but are you grateful for the food that God has put in this house? Well, somebody paid for it. Somebody contributed for it. I know you'd never do this. Let me talk to you, like, just real for a second, okay? I know you'd never go in one of these fancy restaurants here in town, order the whole meal, eat it, and then skip out on the check. Listen, don't ever do that, okay? Especially if you go to this church and make sure that you tip well. 
if they know you're from this church. I hope nobody, nobody here would ever do that, right? But you know what? Here's the principle, that there are people who are suffering and they're under a curse. <laughs> you know, there's two kinds of testimonies I've heard in my 23 years of being a pastor, and there's, there's just two, and there's two groups of people. There are the people who say, we are living the blessed life. We put God first, we're tithers, and God is blessing us and our family. You heard one today. You've heard this over and over. And then there's the other category, very distinct, who says, well, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford it, so they don't. And you see, it's a state of mind, and it's a state of poverty of the soul, and it's a state of, well, I don't really trust God, and God can't bless that person. And so they just go on and on and see, this is what I want. I want something for you here. I do not talk to you out of a sense of need. You say, I didn't even know about this curse thing, that that was suffering the consequences. Well, the people didn't either. So Hezekiah says, come back, return, and look what happened. If you say, I think I'm under that curse because it keeps coming out from the bottom. Satan keeps robbing out. I, I have it in my hand for a few minutes and it's gone. If you've lived like that, look what happened in verse five. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought an abundance of the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. The children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah, they brought in the tithe of their oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord, their God, and they laid them in heaps. They started bringing their tithes. They started laying them in heaps in the house of God. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. This went on and on all through the harvest season. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. He's a good leader. He's concerned. He sees all this abundance coming in, and he says, whoa, are these guys okay? I mean, we're having a recession after all. I mean, have these people overdone it? Are they giving too much? And look what the priest says. Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered and said to him, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have, had, and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance. As soon as they started tithing, God broke the recession. As soon as they started tithing, and here's, here he's going, are they okay? And, and Nazareth's going, this, this, all this you see is just the 10%. It's just the tithe. You should see what they have in their house. There's been plenty to eat and more over. Doing it God's way works. And this is what I want for you, not, not from you. God has blessed this church because of people who get this. Now, I'm gonna try to make this in a way that you can you can get this really clearly, all right? Um, Dave, why don't you come on up here? And uh, Jake Parrish, you come on up. And Devin Riley, all right? One from each section, give them a great hand. They're gonna come up here and help me with an illustration. Just stand right here. All right, so Jake, Devin, and Dave, okay? Jake, Devin, Dave, all right. Now, I'm going on a trip, I'm gonna be going away for some time, so uh, I want my wife to be taken care of and my family, so I'm gonna entrust these men with some resources to take care of my family, all right? Trustworthy men that I've chosen, and so I'm gonna give you, uh, Jake, I'm gonna give you $10,000 every month, okay? 
Now don't get excited, it's just an illustration. <laughs> I want you to take that 10,000, I want you to do whatever you want with nine, but I want you to give 1,000 to my wife, okay? So that's all I want you to do, just, just give her 1,000, send it every month, and then take the nine and invest it, do whatever you want with the nine. And I'm gonna say the same instruction to each of you guys, okay? So I go on the trip, and I'm talking to my wife every day, and about a couple months in, I say, uh, you know, hey, how's it going with the guys and the stewardship and them providing all of that? And Larissa says, well, you know, Jake, he's like clockwork. Like the first of the month, that $1,000 is right there. That, he is on it. And I'm like, yes, I knew that about Jake. He is, he's all right. He's, he's, he's committed. He's faithful. How about Devin? She goes, well, Devin, he sends 2000 every month. What? I didn't ask him to do that. Yeah, I know, but he just sends it. I mean, he's like clockwork, $2,000. And, and immediately I'm going like, man, I know something about, I didn't know about the heart. Of, I mean, he, I knew he was faithful and trustworthy, but I know his heart now and I love his heart. And wow, he must really care for my wife. And well, what about Dave? And my wife goes, well, we got to talk about Dave. <laughs> I told you I'd get you back. <laughs> Because Dave, she goes, Dave sent 700 the first month. Dave only sent 400 the next month. And this month, he hasn't said anything at all. Dave. Now, what's my response supposed to be? What does that tell me about the heart of these individuals? They, their, their, their actions, their behavior is telling me about their, where their heart is. Uh, what's important to them, how much they love me, how much they care about my wife, and how faithful and trustworthy they are. They've told me something by the way they live in their life. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what I gave to Dave and not give that to him anymore. I'm going to put that in Devin's hands, right? Because I know where his heart is and I see what he's doing with it. He's told me how much he cares about me and about my, my, my priorities and about my wife, whom I love. All right, thank these guys. This was great, wasn't it? Thank you so much. Dave, I love you. I picked Dave because I knew that he is the finest specimen of a human being ever in this church, so uh, you can handle that illustration. All right, let me, let me finish this up, okay? Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm coming again. I want you to take care of my wife. Is the church the bride of Christ? I don't think we realize how personal it is to him, the way we live and the, what we're doing. I don't think we recognize for a second what we're saying to him by our behavior, what's important, how trustworthy we are, how much we love him, how much we love his wife. The eyes of the Lord are going out throughout the whole world looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He also says there's a way that seems right to man and it ends in death. There's a way that seems right to you and it's the desecrated, cursed way. And God says, there is a blessed life. And it's all about the heart. And you get a test every few weeks to, that lets me know whom you're thanking, who is important to you, whom you love, how trustworthy you are. And lest you think that God won't take away from one and give to another, just read the parable of the talents. That's a modern illustration of the parable of the talents. The blessed life, that's what God wants for you. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to be under the curse anymore. I want you to walk away from that. I want you to open up your heart to God 
and take the risk and see if he won't open up the windows of heaven for you and will he not rebuke the devourer, Satan, on your behalf? And he says, test me and see. You don't believe me? You tithe for a whole year in this church and God's not better to you and you're, you're not blessed, you're not given more by the end of the year, I'll give you all your money back. I've never had anybody take me up on that. That's God's guarantee. This is not something I want from you. I want this for you so that together we can be the body of Christ set free the way we're supposed to be and we can be his hands and feet in the world and when the world sees the way that we operate and how generous we are, the world is gonna know that God loves them that Jesus is God, that he sent, that he came from God. The world's going to know him when he sees some set free people. That's my prayer for you. Do you receive this today? Amen. All right. All right, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want to ask you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you going to have to do to do the right thing? What do you have to, what's it going to take? I mean, I know a couple in this church who who wanted to obey God and said, we can't. They sold their home, they downsized so that they could stop robbing God. I mean, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? They're living the blessed life today. And that's what I want for you too. It's gonna take some decisions on your part. It's not gonna just happen. You're gonna have to choose in your heart first to trust in God. Would you let me pray for you? Holy Spirit, I pray that every person who's heard this message today, that they'll hear your voice, they'll respond to you by faith, they'll trust you. You've promised that if we, if we love you and we act in faith, we will be blessed by you. It's a guarantee of your scripture. So I pray that for every person who has decided to follow you. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, just give him your heart today. Say, Jesus Christ, I give you me. I ask you to lead me, I ask you to guide me, forgive me of my sin and make me a new person. If that's you, say, yes, God, that's me. And the very best thing you could do today is surrender your whole life and give your whole body to him. Turn away from that old way of living, get baptized. You can do that today and start following him. And how many of you are Christians, you've followed Christ for a lot of years, but this is that place of stubbornness in your heart that you've just held on to. It's gonna be your way. And you just say, Lord, today I surrender to you. I wanna live the blessed life. I wanna obey you. Open my heart to you now. Give me the courage to trust you. Father, bless couples who will have amazing conversations this week. This week. And I pray that you'll help them. And you'll give them the power and the understanding to just, just work through this detail and put you first. And I pray against the enemy's power in their life. Rebuke the devourer and may the... the the draining, just the, the empty uh, frittering away of the resources. May it stop and may you put them on a path to debt-free, generous living. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.